Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. When I was a kid, I used to love those connect the dot worksheets that they would hand out where, you know, you, you get this page of dots and they're all numbered and, and, and you, you, you search until you find one and all right. That's the starting point. And then you look and, oh, there's two. And you connect the dot. Uh, and then you look for the next one. And then after you're finished, the, the, the picture emerges. It's, it's really cool. Life is a lot like a page filled with numbers and dots that seem disconnected. And we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to connect the dots to make sense out of the world that we live in, to make sense out of life, to try to figure out if there is, if there is anything more. It's, is there meaning to our existence? And, and if there is meaning, How does that impact our lives? The four major philosophical questions that everybody has to at some point deal with in their lives. Where do we come from? Why are we here? How shall we live our lives? And what's next? Where, where do we end up? Questions of, of origin. Bless you. Questions of origin. Meaning. Ethics. Destiny. Those are the, those are the questions. Those are the dots that, that we try to connect. And, and every now and then, you get a little aha moment, and, 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 and it becomes a little more clear. And for the disciples, that, that aha moment was the resurrection. Oh, oh, my gosh. What they went through during those three and a half years with Jesus, in trying to connect those dots... And failing miserably. When other people seem to be able to connect the dots instantly. And then there's that chasm between the two. The people that get it instantly look at the people that don't and say, what's wrong with you? And the people that don't get it look at the people who get it instantly and say, are you really sure? And the resurrection... It answers a couple of questions, as I've said before. It tells us that Jesus is, in fact, who he claims to be. The great I am. The word that was in the beginning with God and was God that became flesh and dwelt among us. And there is something beyond death's door. The resurrection validates that. 
And so it behooves us, knowing those two things, knowing that Jesus is who he claims to be, and knowing that there is something next, to revisit those other questions in light of the life of Jesus. And that's what we're doing this year in the book of John, going a little deeper into the life of Jesus. What does it mean? And where do we see God at work in our own lives? If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it to the fourth chapter of the gospel according to John. I hope that you have enjoyed uh, these last couple of weeks as, as we have looked at Nicodemus and the woman at the well and kind of compared and contrasted those two people. The woman at the well provides an amazing portrait for us of a transformed life. And I'm going to tell you right now that there is no greater testimony, there is no greater witness than a transformed life. When someone sees in you a change, a radical change, it invites conversation. In fact, uh, our, our mission partners in the Middle East say it's, it's, it becomes a challenge for Muslim background believers who accept Christ and their lives begin to change. Now, the, 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 the culture is all intertwined. Life, faith, government, culture, it's all intertwined. And it's not as easy for those of us, you know, we, we're, we're in the West, we're kind of disjointed. We're all over the map. I mean, you can live one way, you can believe another way, and, and, but everything is integrated within the Islamic world, which creates challenges for people who become followers of Christ. Not only are they, are they in danger of being, of being ostracized by their communities, but by their very families. And one of the things that happens is that when they follow Christ, their lives change. And the community begins to see it. And they say, there's something different in your life. And now they just come right and ask, have you become a follower of Jesus? Because they see the transformation of life occur. We see that transformation occur in the woman at the well as she encounters Jesus. And last week we saw she, she ran back to the village and says, come and see, come and see this man who knows everything about me. Could this not be the Christ? They saw a transformation in her life and they went. And the disciples, for her, it was like, it was instant. She connected all the dots. The disciples back at the well with Jesus are still trying to find number two. They're tired. They don't understand why Jesus is hanging out with this woman at the well while they went in and got food and they're hungry and Jesus is talking about food that he knows not of. And, and uh, that's where we pick up the narrative. Chapter 4, verse 39. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony that transformed life. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Connecting the dots. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Talk about connecting the dots. And the disciples are still trying to figure it out. There is no greater witness, no greater testimony than a transformed life. But that transformed life will only take a person so far. They see this woman come into town, a woman that hours before, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have given her a second look. They wouldn't have said a word to her. They would have ignored her. But she comes storming into town, transformed by her encounter with Jesus, and issues an invitation, come and see. And they go, and they see. And it wasn't just because of her testimony, but that's what started the process. The dots are beginning to connect. And then they talk with Jesus and they urge him to stay for two more days. You'll remember earlier on when we began this chapter, we read that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now we know that it was not because he had a time crunch. It was because he had a destiny with this woman to let her know that she was known, fully known, and fully loved. He gives her dignity, and she is transformed by this encounter. And the others see it and they come and they spend time with Jesus because of her testimony. And then they say to her, look, it's not because of your words anymore. It's because we have encountered for ourselves. And now we believe that he is the savior of the world. Now just think about that for a minute. That's a that's a pretty huge leap. We now know that this person is the Savior of the world. The question is, why does the world need a Savior? And we can answer that easily with the same question that we ask of ourselves. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we're broken. We need a Savior because we have a problem that we cannot fix in and of ourselves. Oh, we can search. And that search is part of a process to unravel why are we even here? 
Is there any meaning beyond what I struggle with day in and day out, what I suffer, what, what, the problems that I face when things don't go the way that I want them to? To discover that there really is a God in whose image I've been created who knows me better than I know myself. And he still loves me. He loves me so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Life is meaningful created in the image of God for a relationship with God that finally makes sense of the world in which we live. That it doesn't have to be a power struggle. That there is infinite power available to empower others to live full lives. It's not a dog-eat-dog -dog world. As I lift others up, I myself am lifted up. As we focus on others, God's love and God's purposes for our lives begin to connect the dots in new and meaningful ways. He had to go through Samaria. What about us? Has, has, where's, where's, where's your Samaria? You know, the disciples, they were with Jesus, but they didn't want to be there. Cultural stigmas are strong. And I have a feeling that when, when the Samaritans impressed upon Jesus the need to stay with them for a couple of more days, that the disciples were thinking, oh, come on. Not where I want to be. For two days? Had to have been two of the most uncomfortable days in their lives up to that point. Trying to figure out what Jesus was doing. And it was uncomfortable. Now, it took them two days, the Samaritans, to connect the dots and to recognize that Jesus really was the solution to the problems, not only of Samaria, the Middle East, but of the entire world. He is the Savior of the world. It took them two days. It took the woman maybe about 20 minutes. And their lives begin to be transformed. The disciples are still trying to figure it out. And you could argue that they didn't figure it out until the resurrection. Some have argued that they didn't figure it out until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes. But how about us? How about you? When was the day that you figured it out? When was the day that you connected the dots? 
Some have suggested that for this Samaritan woman, her encounter with Jesus was, a, was akin to a Damascus Road experience. We talk about the Damascus Road experience, we're talking about Paul. Paul, who was out there persecuting the church. He was throwing people in jail. He oversaw and approved of the stoning of Stephen. He was on, on the road going to Damascus with letters that enabled him to arrest people and drag them back to Jerusalem and throw them in prison. When the Lord met him on that road, and in an instant, all the dots were connected. Damascus Road experience. Some people have those Damascus Road experiences where all the dots are connected at once. Certainly the woman did. For some, it takes a little longer. A couple of weeks, a couple of years, maybe a lifetime. Both are valid. Some people, if you've grown up in the church, you may never remember a time where you were not a part of God's family. And to that I say, yay. You have much fewer scars in your lives than those of us who have not grown up in the church. You still have scars, but fewer. But even at that, there was a point in your life where you were able to connect all the dots and understand who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, how he lived his life, to say, now I believe. You know, it was my fill-in-the-blank who drugged me to church and introduced me to Jesus but this was the moment when I said to myself, when I say to God, it's no longer because of the testimony of fill in the blank. I've encountered him on my own. And now I believe that he is the savior of the world. He who knows me better than I know myself and loves me anyway. Jesus wanted the woman at the well. Jesus wants us to know that he knows everything about us. But he doesn't stop there. The invitation is extended. I know everything about you. How about you get to know me? Spend some time with me. How do we spend time with the Lord? In prayer? In Bible study? Meditation? In worship? Opportunities for God to transform our lives. If our lives are not being transformed by the gospel, my question is, have we truly connected the dots? We have a great story over here. Uh, and I asked her if I could tell the story, and she said, absolutely, you can tell any of my stories that you want. Dawn 
was a very successful attorney, had the corner office, uh, teaching in a law school, had all the toys, the vacation homes, the cars. And then one day, it's just, is this all there is? There's got to be more than this. She walked away from all of it. She went down to Club Med to teach water skiing. And one day this Frenchman comes alongside and says, Hello. Bonjour. My name is Chris. Uh, at the end of the week, he invited her to go back to France with him, and, and, and she went. He's trying to fill a hole, trying to find meaning in life. And in France, of all places, she stumbled onto a Bible study. Now, Christoph will tell you, in France, we didn't just put the light out. We kicked the light out. You cannot go to a bookstore in France and buy a Bible. I mean, that's how secular the nation is. And it is in France that, that Dawn encounters Jesus Christ and her life is transformed. She tries to tell Christoph about it. He doesn't want to hear it. But over time, he sees the transformation in her life and says, I, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And then he became a follower of Christ. And then they came to Coronado. <laughs> what a great story. The power of a transformed life. Where, where do you see God at work? Where is your Samaria? Where is maybe God taking you that is outside of your comfort zone so that you could hang out there a couple of days and allow Jesus to work through you? This, is a, this was a tool that we introduced a couple of weeks ago. And it's a, who, in, in, in your, three, one, two, three. There are three influence, three spheres of influence that each of us have in our lives. Three spheres. Our immediate family. That's a tough one. Trust me, I know. Because they, my family has known me since I was, well, I'm the last one. So oh, they know me all my life. An extended family, and there's some incriminating evidence out there from my misspent youth. So I come along talking about the gospel, and they're going, yeah, David, we know. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you remember back when? I can't hear you. That's a sphere of influence in our lives, our families. We also have, a, wherever we work, that's a, that's a sphere of influence as well. And in the neighborhood in which you live. Those are the three spheres of influence that you have. Identify someone in each of those spheres and, and start praying for them. Three people. It's three people. And pray for an opening. Lord, provide me with an opening. I don't know how to do this. And it might simply be, do you ever think about spiritual things? And if they say no, let it go. Keep praying for them. But if they say, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I have. I got questions. Well, have you ever tried praying? 
Maybe God's ready to answer some of those questions if you simply ask. Come and see. You're giving them an invitation. You don't have to convince anybody of the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit will do that. But one of the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to do that is through transforming our lives so that we're actually more like Jesus. So that we're willing to meet people wherever they are, even if it's uncomfortable for us. Spending a couple of days in Samaria. So that God can work through us. Where is your Samaria, by the way? Your Samaria just might be in one of those three spheres of influence. It might be in your own family. But it's that transformation that garners the attention. That's the invitation to come and see. Try, you might want to just try praying. And then, and then they may come back to you a week later and say, what's next? How, what would you say? Well, why don't you read the Bible? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the size of that thing? I, I tried to read it one time. Genesis was pretty interesting. Exodus, interesting. The first half. The second half was kind of a slog. Uh, but Leviticus, game over. I'm sorry. Game over. I told you, I, I've told you my story when I first became a Christian and started reading the Bible. I had a New Testament. I read Matthew. That's the first in the New Testament. Got through that, and then I read Mark. And I thought, well, that's a lot like Matthew. <laughs> it's just a little shorter. Uh, but I got through Mark, and then I started reading Luke. And I went, oh my gosh, it's the same as Matthew and Mark. I chucked it. I was done. I didn't go back, to, I didn't back, back and, and pick up a Bible probably for another six weeks. And somebody told me, oh, the first four books of the New Testament are four portraits of Jesus. And, and, then, it, and then it goes on from there. Oh, I, boy, that would have been nice if somebody had explained that to me. Somebody wants to know what to do next. You don't say to them, well, go read the Bible. That's not a place to start. But what you could do is say, you know what? I, I got a couple of copies of this. This is, uh, this is just uh, one of the portraits of Jesus that we find in the Bible. This one happens to be the Gospel of John. Why don't you take this and read it? I can do that. I can do that. What you're doing is inviting people to come and see. You're inviting people to come and see. And then you invite them to worship. Invite them to a Bible study. Invite them to dinner. Have conversation. Tell them what Jesus is doing in your life, assuming that Jesus is doing something in your life. Because a transformed life is the greatest witness that any of us can have. Now, we, we have a tendency to want to write people off. 
And, and the, the disciples are a perfect example. They, they wrote the, the, the Samaritans off. They didn't want to go there. Jesus had to go through. He said, we got to go through. Okay, hold your breath and let's sprint. Just, just get through this. No, 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 no. He's going to hang out for a couple of days. A couple of days. Not everybody is going to be interested. Not everybody wants to pursue that deeper life. There are people out there that think they can fill whatever hole is in their lives through stuff, through relationships, through power, through addictions. I mean, it goes on and on and on, and all of, all of it, all of it is going to fall short at some point. But they have to figure that out. But some people are interested, probably more than you think. In fact, statistics tell us that three out of five of your non-church-going acquaintances, friends, would go if they were simply invited. Why don't you come and see? Just come and see. You have to take my word for it. Come and see. You try praying. Maybe read the Gospel of John. You will be surprised at the people who respond to that invitation to come and see. Yes, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. It may, you, you, that's why you preface any approach with prayer. To identify those three people, you pray for them, in the, one in each of those spheres of influence, and then and while you're praying for them, pray for an opportunity. I guarantee you that opportunity will come. When the opportunity comes, take it. Take it. But of course, all of this, all of this presupposes that you have connected the dots. That you have come to that place in your life where you recognize that there is a problem that you can't fix. We call it sin. And Jesus dealt with that on the cross. And last week we celebrated the resurrection, which validates his entire earthly ministry. I need you who know me better than I know myself want to meet that need, and he does. And there ought to be some excitement and some trepidation. People want to keep their faith private. And we live in a day and an age in which we are encouraged to keep our faith private. Because it is a very personal thing. You've heard that said. It's a personal thing. And you know what? With that part, I agree. It is a very personal thing. But faith is never a private thing. If it were a private thing, we might never have heard the invitation to come and see. Oh, God is at work.
in ways that we'll not fully understand this side of eternity. And if he laid it out in front of us right now, we would be incredulous. We, we wouldn't believe it. Oh, but God is at work. Desiring to transform us that he might transform the world. Remember God's zip code? Who remembers God's zip code? 12141, God's zip code. Think words, not numbers. One to one, the gospel is transferred one life to another life. One to one, for one. As we live out our faith, as we long for that deeper experience, that relationship with God, you find, we find a meaning in life that makes it a joy to get up in the morning. I don't have to solve the world's problems. I'm working with God to solve my own problems. And then I get to love everybody else. And that's really the task. We will, we will, we will be known by our love for one another. Has the church ever been more divided than it is today? Oh my gosh, why is that? And where does, this, where does the spirit of division come from? It doesn't come from God. We don't have to get it all figured out this side of eternity except the one basic instruction that Jesus gave his disciples before he left. Love each other. Love each other. Wherever you're at, love each other. Bring people into an opportunity to encounter me. I'll do the transformation in them and in you. Your job is to let me work on you and you love everybody else. Those are, those are pretty easy marching orders when we don't have to worry about fixing other people, just loving them. Come and see. The transformation, hopefully, you see in my life, you can see in your own life. It's all about connecting the dots, people. Sometimes instantly, Sometimes it can take a lifetime. My hope and my prayer is that everyone in the sanctuary today has connected those dots. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I hope that's your story. I hope that you have connected the dots. My charge and my challenge to you is to share with someone today or within the next couple of days, certainly by next week, your dot story. When did you connect the dots? When did you make it yours? When did you truly understand that Jesus Christ knows you and loves you and died for your sins, that you might be reconciled with the true and living God. And then covenant to pray for each other as you identify three individuals in your life, one from each sphere of influence in your life, to prepare to extend to them the invitation to come and see.